So I'm going to tell you a little bit about, um, before we get into the sermon, um, which you can see the title of that, Learning the Way of God More Adequately. Um, that word adequate is going to come up a little bit as I tell you about a journey, not my journey to God, but my journey in becoming a high school math teacher, which a lot of you know that's my day job and has been for over 20 years. Um, I know it's crazy that it's been that long, um, but you're going to see the tie-in. I'll probably make it really obvious because I like to do that. Um, but just to let you know, I loved school. I was the kind of kid that like actually really, really loved school. And I loved all the subjects. People would say, what's your favorite subject? You know, I'd pick something, but really it was all of them. And even into high school, I really just liked school. I liked education. I liked the idea of learning new things. And so you may think, well, of course, she became a teacher. But here's the thing that really told me that this was something I could do. Um, I don't know if you all know Amy Kahn, but I got Amy Kahn through high school pre-cal. And... I say that lovingly as her best friend. I'm, I'm like pointing over here. She's not over here. She has had like several days of migraines, so you can be praying for her about that. But um, so it's kind of easy that she's not here because I can kind of pick on her a little bit because that was no easy task because she's like here and there and everywhere. And I'm like, she's like, just tell me how to get the answer. And I'm not that kind of person. I'm like, let's really explain it. Let's make sure you understand it so that next time you can do it on your own. And I did that with a lot of my friends. Um, I was a few years ahead in math in particular. It kind of became like my subject that I really liked and kind of um, ended up focusing on um, and majoring in in college. But I thought, you know, this might be something I could be good at. This could be a career. I don't know. Um, I even took a class my senior year. Um, it was called elementary teaching internship. Anybody take that class in high school? Okay, some of you are like, no. Well, we didn't have, we could only do kindergarten. And I thought, okay, next best thing. It was not for me. Um, however, even my class voted me most likely to actually become a teacher. And I keep that up so that, you know, my students can see it. And mostly they laugh because the date was 1998. And they think that's really funny because it's the 1900s. That's how they refer to it now. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Um, I'm like, it was 98. It was right at the end, but it doesn't matter. You know, teenagers can be ruthless. You know, too, if you're a parent um, or you are one, you know, um, or you have been one. So um, I know I love working with teenagers. But, you know, as I went through college, I uh, my college had a great math program. They did not really have a teaching program. It was just building. So there was no, like, minoring in education. But they said, we're kind of building the program. You can take electives if you want, but you're not going to get a minor. Well, I chose to take every elective. I wanted to be really good. I wanted to be really prepared if I was going to do this teaching thing. Why not, right? So I took all these electives. I read all these books. Um, if any of you have, have studied to be teachers, they might be still using some of these same books. Hopefully some of them they're not using anymore. Um, and many of them talked about, you know, this is how you write a lesson plan. This is how you do classroom management. You know, it was 
we're right at like 2,000 here. So it was, they were still like, you know, if you're a female teacher, you got to wear a power suit. You got to wear pantyhose. You got to wear closed-toed shoes. You got to be really stern for like the first six weeks of school. And then you can ease up. And that was just the way that I was taught to be a teacher. Um, And, you know, I soaked it all up. I'm like, I'm going to be prepared. I go do little internships here and there. You know, they send you off. In this class, they're like, okay, you're going to learn how to create a lesson, and then you're going to go teach it at some school. A junior high, was it was for me, because I really wanted to teach high school. And just a tidbit of information, I looked, by the time I started teaching, I still looked 16 in my face. And if I'll show you pictures. I have the proof. Um, and I... Uh, they wouldn't let me go to a high school. They said, you're too young, too young looking. And so I went to a junior high, you know, I did great teaching that one lesson. I'm like, I'm prepared. I can have my own class tomorrow. So a lot of you kind of know where this is going, um, maybe. And then you get to where you do your student teaching. And this is where you get to work full time for free. Then you actually pay the university to work full time for free. It's a great system. I don't know why more people don't do it. But uh, I do know why they required it, because you really need that. Um, Now, I'm showing up, not in my power suit, but definitely my very businesswoman type clothes as much as I can muster up as a recent college grad. My hair is pulled back tight. I am prepared. I am prepared to be the best teacher that ever lived. And then you get into this class, and my mentor teacher was nothing like me. He was very, shall we say, maverick style, did his own thing. He has since left teaching. It is not for him after all this time. He, you know, education has changed. And he was like, I'm not following any of these rules. I'm out of here. And he makes way more money now. And it's kind of fun hearing about all of what he does. Um, But, you know, my first lesson that I had with my class and my student teaching was at lunch. He goes, I think you're ready you're going to teach right after this lunch. And I wasn't supposed to start teaching until the following week. And so I do, and I was very nervous, and we got my nerves out, and I did it. And it was not a good lesson, you know? It wasn't how I thought my first lesson with my own classroom, which really when you student teach, it's not really even fully your classroom yet, um, went. And then, you know, you get over that hurdle, and then there's the next thing. And let me just tell you, I had a very unique student teaching experience. Here's a few things that happened that my college experience did not prepare me for, nor had I have ever predicted that this would happen. I had a student that was completely blind. I had to turn in all of my notes two weeks ahead of time to be put into Braille. And this was an advanced class. And they had to be put into Braille, and she learned. She was actually one of the best students in that class. He taught an extra class. So I taught more classes than even other teachers there were teaching. I had three different preps, which maybe for some people wasn't a big deal. It was three different types of class I had to prepare for each day. I had a student who my mentor teacher said, hey, if this guy shows up, you need to call me immediately and call the officer because he was a known drug dealer that they just kind of, he was skipping school all the time. Um, I had a student who inflicted self-harm because she wanted to go to a different school and said it was other students. And, you know, I wasn't trained for any of that. And nor 
was there any way I could have been? And if someone had sat me down when I was tutoring Amy Kahn back in high school in my elementary teaching internship complaining about how annoying making file folder games were for, for kindergarten, if someone had said, these are the real challenges you're going to be facing, I'm not sure. I, I think I would have picked a different career path, and I'm glad I didn't. I, I feel so blessed that I got into a career that I personally feel like I'm good at. I've had success. I enjoy it. I feel like I make a difference. And by a miracle, I haven't been burned out like a lot of other people. So I'm really glad I didn't know all those things. Um, but my education for that job was inadequate. And I feel, anybody relate to this with a, whatever career path you've had? Or maybe it's being a parent. You read all the books, your kid comes, and you're like, this didn't happen in the book. <laughs> or you have kid number one, and everything's great. And then kid number two says, I'm going to be totally different than kid number one. Or whatever the case may be. So this is a pretty universal experience. And this is how it happens sometimes with being a Christian. Um, I'm sure this is what happens with church planners, too. Um, that they think, and they're preparing themselves as much as they can, but it's just not adequate. So um, we've been learning about Acts, and I am going to, my message tonight is on a very small snippet of Acts, and I'm not going to take that as a diss to me from Adam. I'm actually really happy that it's only a few snippets, because the next part of Acts to me is pretty heavy theologically, um, which is not really something I'm adequately trained to go into in any major detail. But um, I love this snippet. I've learned a lot. It's always fascinated me, and I've learned a lot in preparing for this message. And I hope you will learn as well. Um, but Adam has said, because we've come back to this Acts uh, journey multiple years. It's kind of what we do during this time of year where it's after Lent and after Easter before Advent, and we've, we've learned a lot. And Acts is a story, it's like for good news for all people everywhere. Um, and that's really important. And I'll mention that a few times as well. And we get all these stories about Paul. My little snippet of verses, Paul is gone. But he's still kind of lurking in the background. So if you remember about what Paul's doing, Paul's going from city to city. He's preaching the good news, good news to all people everywhere. And in some cases, he's preaching to Jewish people. He's explaining that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one you've been learning about since you were a little child um, in the scriptures. And in other places, he's preaching to Gentiles, people who were maybe they grew up under pagan gods, sacrificing meat to pagan gods. And maybe they believed that, or maybe it was just ritual, it was just culture. And so we've got lots of different people. We've got men and women kind of on equal footing. Um, and that was unique. We've got early churches where there are slaves in the same room as people who own slaves. We've got people of different background of education, people who are literate with people who are not literate. And the early church was a pretty wild place to be, I can only imagine, of what we know. Um, we also see Paul getting pretty frustrated. People are coming at him saying, hey, this is blasphemy. 
you need to leave. And if you don't leave, we will make you leave. And add, if you want to hear more about that, just go back and look at the last couple of sermons. And even at some point, they follow Paul to the next place and say, no, you really need to like leave this whole area of lower Greece, okay? Um, and Paul's like, you know what? I've had it with you Jewish people. I'm going to just spend my time with people that want to hear me, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Um, and along the way, right at the end of Acts chapter 18, or sorry, at the beginning, because I'm going to be going over the end, um, we run into a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And um, that's kind of interesting to note, um, because some of the times when those two are mentioned, we know they're married and they're tent makers, but sometimes Priscilla's even mentioned first, which was unusual. And there could have been several reasons for that. It could have been that she was the leader of a church. It could have been that she was more active. It could have been that she was just from a more noble family. But, you know, there's not a lot of times in the Bible where the woman's name is even mentioned first at all. And that's interesting to know. Um, and so we get to about verse 24. And you'll see it up here on the screen. Now I'm just going to read through the several verses that we have. You can follow along on the screen or you can look it up in your own Bible if you wish. Meanwhile, and I forgot one thing. Paul stayed. They actually go over. Um, they were in Corinth for a while. Um, if you look at verse 18, it's not up on the screen. And then they travel across the sea to Ephesus. Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. And they stay there for a little while. And Paul's going to continue on his journey. That's what the meanwhile is. But Priscilla and Aquila are there. So they're in Ephesus, which is part of Turkey, Asia. It's a different part of um, where they were at before. But meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. And you'll see, I'm kind of reading from here, and if you'll see on the screen here, um, um, those I just want you to highlight in your mind, like take a mental picture of the words fervor and accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, that's John the Baptist. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Again, take, make a little mental note of that word, adequately. And when Apollos went to go to Achaia, or Achaia, which is the area where Corinth was across the sea, lower Greece, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is the word of God for the people of God. We say thanks be to God. 
So it's only a few verses, but there's quite a bit happening there. Um, notice that this guy, Apollos, anybody like remember learning about Apollos? Or is this kind of one of those guys you're like, I've heard of the name, but I'm not really sure who he is. Yeah, that one, probably for a lot of people. I mean, he's not mentioned that many times. He is mentioned a few more times, but he actually had pretty big influence. And I'll explain that in a little bit. But he was a Jewish man, although his name was more Greek, okay? And he's from Alexandria. Anybody know where Alexandria is? I can't get this teacher part out of me. I'm like, who knows what? I don't teach social studies or maps. Um, but that's part of Egypt. Anybody know what Alexandria is known for from Egypt? Libraries. Yes. There were massive libraries. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. <laughs> Thanks for having my back out there. And so Alexandria was a really big place with, with libraries. The people who live, I mean, this is a city. This is like a, you know, as much of a city as they had. And the people there, they weren't just educated, but they knew a lot. And they had access to a lot of information about a lot of different things. So this man, we can see that he was educated at, in all the Jewish customs. He probably saw, he probably knew of all the Old Testament scriptures. He had probably learned about the idea of a Messiah, and he's waiting for a Messiah um, his whole life, okay? And we also know that he probably learned how to debate really well, okay? Any of you know somebody that could just talk anybody into anything because they're so smooth? Yeah, we have a few of those people in our church. Um, and if they use it for good, it's all good. Um, but he came to Ephesus. He was probably traveling around, and um, he had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. When they say the scriptures there, they're not talking, they're talking about like our Old Testament. Think prophets, judges, uh, the Genesis, Exodus, those stories that we know from Old Testament. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. He knew who Jesus was. And if you think about it, it doesn't make that much sense. So I don't have a map here. If you want to look at a map, the, your, your Bible likely has a map. Um, and if you get bored at any time, I encourage you to look at Paul's missionary uh, map in the back of the little Bibles on your um, pews there. Um, that's what I used to do in church, and that's what I do all the time. I think it's fascinating to see how far they traveled to preach the good news to all people everywhere. Um, and it took them a long time to do that. But Alexandria is down here in Egypt. But it's really not that far from Jerusalem. So from y'all's point of view, Jerusalem would be right about here. It's not that far. In Alexandria, they certainly, the Jewish population, would have heard about Jesus. Whether they believed Jesus was the Messiah or not, they would have heard the stories. Because it was a big deal. And John the Baptist would have come through. Um, and the stories of John the Baptist would have come through. We know that he knew about the baptism of John, John the Baptist. And if you've forgotten what John the Baptist had to say, I'm going to go ahead and read it. So this is in Luke chapter 3. If you want to follow along, I'm just going to turn in my own Bible. But Luke chapter 3.
I used to could read with my Bible down here, and now I cannot, even with my glasses. Um, in the 15th year, so they're giving a set time here. Um, and I'm going to skip down to, uh, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. All right, so Apollos would have known about these words of Isaiah the prophet. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked, ro crooked roads shall become straight and rough ways smooth. And all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by them. He gets a little intense. If you don't remember how intense John the Baptist is, these are just a few things he said. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we'll have Abraham as our father. Basically, we're good because we're part of God's chosen people. For I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. Talking about, we can call other people, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And so the crowd then asks, what should we do? And so John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And these are the kind of words that really sound a lot like what Jesus said in his sermons. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Hey, don't collect any more than you're required to. And the soldier said, well, what should we do? And he said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John ex exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And we know that John went around saying this. He was a pretty intense guy, and he had a pretty intense end because he just was relentless with this message. So when we see in this, if you want to back up to the last slide, when we see in this... Apollos knew a lot about Jesus, but he had only known about the baptism of John. He knew about forgiveness of sins, repentance, you know, love your neighbor type stuff too. Um, but there was something not quite there. And what else he had to learn, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know that it had to do with the Holy Spirit because he says, I only know the baptism of John, meaning I don't know the baptism of Christ with the Holy Spirit. Um, and, you know, it was hard to get information around. Not everybody back then had all the scriptures. They were being written at that time. And they didn't have all of those. This was right in that time when they were very close to the story, but they, a lot of people didn't have the full story. 
And Paul knew that, which is why he's going around from everywhere. So Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And I've been thinking about this word particularly adequately for weeks now, because I've known that I was going to preach that at least this passage was going to be part, if not the whole, of what I was going to be talking about tonight. And I think about adequate is what you need when you need it. Does that sound familiar? If you've been paying attention to Adam's sermons, he mentioned that. God gives us what we need when we need it. We see that earlier in what Paul's preaching. And so Apollos didn't have the full story, but he had a lot. He had a passion. He had a desire. He, was, he knew a lot about the scriptures, and he even knew quite a bit about Jesus. But he didn't have this last piece of the story that to us seems so important. Did he know that how Jesus was crucified and resurrected? Was that part of what he didn't know, or did he know that, but just didn't quite understand the Holy Spirit? That's kind of, different people have different feelings on that. But we know there were parts that he didn't have right. He didn't have anything wrong, but he didn't have it quite right. So Priscilla and Aquila invite him to their home. Now, how did Priscilla and Aquila, listening to Apollos, know that he didn't have the whole story? They had just spent all this time with Paul, probably like a year and a half, uh, just in the recent time. Um, because Paul had that whole thing where he grew out a beard, and that was kind of mysterious. They don't explain it, probably because the people who read it knew what that meant, but we don't really know exactly what that whole thing from the verses before about Paul and his beard mean necessarily, but it kind of gives us an indicator that Paul spent a lot of time with Priscilla and Aquila. So I imagine that they had a full education from Paul, and they heard... This man, Apollos, doing a really good job of using debate, using what he had, using his passion. Um, We even see evidence of a Holy Spirit, even if it's not mentioned. That word fervor there puts into mind that he had what he needed up to a point. And then Priscilla and Aquila invite him to their home. And they explain the way of God more adequately. You know, Paul's essentially going this way, and Apollos is about to go this way. Apollos is about to go to the place where Paul just went. And a lot of the Jewish people there didn't want to hear from Paul anymore. So you see the hand of God. You see the Holy Spirit here giving Apollos what he needed at this moment. He needed to be... He needed to understand the way of God more adequately. He needed more. Um, If we move on to 1 Corinthians, and there is a slide for this as well. If we go to 1 Corinthians, and again, you can follow along on your Bible, or you can just look up here. I'm going to look at my big words here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we hear about Apollos again. Um, And this may give you a better idea about where he went after this. He said, 
this is Paul writing a letter to the Corinthian church because we know that Apollos left Ephesus, went to Corinth with a letter and warm greetings from Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and at some point later, Paul writes a letter to Corinthians. And we know it was after they interacted with Apollos for this reason. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Other, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Yet still another, I follow Christ. I always think the last one's a little smug. Like, well, I just follow Jesus, you know. Um, but I kind of said this earlier. We get people that are really close to the story of Jesus. Sometimes it feels like we're so far removed. But these are people that possibly, some of them in these churches, were either around when Jesus died and was resurrected. They could have been there. Certainly they could have met someone who was there at some point. These were not, this wasn't something that happened so long ago for them. But they didn't have all the letters that we have in our Bible. So it's a different type of information that they're getting. And just like today, there's a lot of quarrels. We agree on a lot, um, but these people follow different people. It could be that Apollos went there, and he was really good at debating with the Jews, helping them understand that, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah that you've been learning about since you were a child. Not all of them bought it when Paul said it. This isn't to say, let's give Apollos big credit. Thank God for the church in Corinth that Apollos went there. It really was God doing the work. I can only imagine that if Apollos had gone there without learning the way of God more adequately, that would have been pretty bad. Um, I don't think that happened. And I think Apollos really soaked up everything Priscilla and Aquila had to say. I bet there was not just one conversation, a rule of five minute. You know, actually, there's this thing called Pentecost that you haven't heard about where Jesus said, I'm about to leave, but the Holy Spirit's going to descend on you. And then everybody just spoke in tongues. I'm sure it was a lot longer conversation with that. Usually when we're talking about things of Jesus, there is a lot more conversation. Um, later on, in 1 Corinthians, a couple of chapters later, Paul says, he mentions Apollos again. Um, and I'm not going to read all of this, um, but you'll see it up here. But he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. He's really getting after these Corinthians. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And they're probably like, yeah, we are mere humans. But for one who says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. And I wanted to include that because I think it brings up a really good point, um, and that is... It's easy for us to look at people and idolize them. They explained something that was so seemed so far-fetched to me to buy. They explained it so well. I'm going to follow everything they say. We all probably have done this. Okay? If I asked everybody to raise their hand if they've ever heard a preacher speak and just say I would have believed anything that person said. We might all raise our hands, and if you didn't, thank good. I'm glad. But a lot of us have probably heard a preacher speak so well that you just would have believed anything they say. And again, these are people that didn't have any one-on-one -on -one connection with Jesus, at least not physically. So the next best thing to do is my connection to Jesus. It's easy to make that an idol. A lot of people do this with, like, the head pastor in their church. Make that person be their relationship with God. And they just say, well, I'll just do everything that person tells me to do. And I think Paul's using this to kind of show us that that's not healthy. But on the side, he's also kind of saying he's not calling out Apollos for doing anything bad. Um, there's a lot of research out there, people who studied this like their whole life, and they think it's highly likely that Paul and Apollos came in contact with each other and were on good terms because there's another t place um, where Paul sends, he says Apollos is on his way. And so um, I think Priscilla and Aquila gave Apollos some really good direction. Um, and... I love that um, because I see people in this church that are probably, I don't know, but probably never going to get up here and give a message or even lead a class, but have spoken such words of wisdom to me over the years that have helped me understand God in new ways. Almost everybody in this room that I know of has done that at some point, even people considerably younger than me. Because God comes at us all differently. The Holy Spirit interacts with us differently. And when one of us is weak, another person is growing. And we can even grow in our weakness. And I've seen that firsthand. Um, Priscilla and Aquila were just doing the work. They were just tent makers. They weren't preachers. Um, they were doing the work. They traveled with Paul for a while. But then they just stayed put, and they mentored people. They discipled people. I'm sure it wasn't easy to go up to someone who everybody agreed was a really good speaker and say, you have more to learn, but let me teach you. Um, I'm really thankful that Adam Wood is a person like that, that is open to being taught, open for a word of wisdom from other people. It was actually really important to him and Bud that we bring on other elders um, when Jason and I came on, um, and that was a whole process. Um, 
And it's kind of, you know, you kind of think, am I adequate? Is my knowledge of God adequate? Do I know the ways of the Lord to even step into a pastoral role? Um, And then you just got to think, there are some qualifications, but there's a lot that just God is doing. Um, Some plant the seeds, some water, some are there just to shield the sun. You know, at the at Rock and Summer, one of our lessons was about the seeds, um, the parable of the seeds, and planting them in fertile soil. And and the kid, I asked the kids, you know, what does a plant need to grow? And it was kind of interesting because they think of things you don't need at all. They're like, they need sun, but not too much sun. And I hadn't even thought of that. And I'm like, yeah, there are people that have been kind of like an umbrella to the pastors of this church. So they didn't get burned out. So that they did, were able to step away and have time to rest. And I'm really thankful for that. And I think that is a wonderful thing. And so kind of to close out a little bit, I have a few slides here, a little bit of reflection. And this word adequately is just still like in my mind. And so I'm kind of like putting it in your mind as well. And we think about the Holy Spirit. For a large part of my life, the Trinity to me was God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. That's kind of like a Baptist joke. But uh, you laugh if you were a Baptist, I think. Um, (laughs) But the Holy Spirit was something, of course, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and made all the people able to speak to each other, and they spoke with tongues of fire, and that sounded like such a cool story. Uh, what is the Holy Spirit doing today? I don't know. Moving in our church, giving us wisdom, hopefully leading us. But it was such an ethereal thing. Um, the past five years or so, Uh, just some interaction with some more charismatic brothers and sisters have really opened me to the idea that the Holy Spirit is much more interactive. When we think about the baptism of Christ, when we think about Pentecost, when we think about the Holy Spirit is God, not incarnate like Jesus, but with us. The Spirit of God is moving in this room. We sang about it a lot. Thank you, Kelly. Those were great songs. Um, the gospel includes good news to everyone everywhere, and that includes the Holy Spirit. The good news includes a relationship with the same Spirit that gave men tongues of fire at Pentecost. I don't know if we're going to speak in tongues at Pentecost, but here's what I do know. I know that some of you have spoken a word to me that I really needed to hear, and you would have had no idea that I needed to hear that word. And it might not have meant anything to that person at the time. I know that we've had people healed in our church um, or given relief at just the right time. There are things that can't be explained. And I really want to encourage you, church, to tell your stories about those kinds of things. Uh, A small story for me, and it's almost kind of like a weird thing to be talking so openly about how the Holy Spirit has moved through me, but that's just because of my upbringing. Um, 
was when we were in Tijuana and we were praying with people at a hospital. And now I know some Spanish. I know some Spanish. And we're praying with people at this hospital. And out of nowhere, I'm praying for someone who speaks no English. And I'm like, to talk in Spanish is one thing. To pray in Spanish is a whole separate thing. And just the words coming out of me that I didn't even know I knew at the time. And the translator who was there saying, I didn't translate anything. You were just speaking in Spanish way better than you had all day. That was God. That was the Holy Spirit. And I believe that. Um, so I just ask, what is your interaction with the Holy Spirit? This is not meant to shame. If you feel shame or guilt, that's not from God. But what is your interaction? I believe the Holy Spirit was already interacting with Apollos before Apollos even knew about this baptism through the Spirit. Um, and I believe that the Holy Spirit interacts with anybody seeking God, learning about Jesus. Um, are you open to it? Do you recognize it? Sometimes it's happening, we just don't recognize it. Sometimes we do, but we're embarrassed. We think, it could be explained through just coincidence. And sure, some things are coincidences. But sometimes you just know it's a God thing. And I encourage you to share that, even with just a person. We also have this body, this group of people, this community. We, there's a whole other message for the body of Christ. But this good news that Paul is out there to all people everywhere in the book of Acts, that good news includes a community for God's people to love, learn, and serve. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a way, and there's no hierarchy. So ask, what are your roles within the church? It may be easy to think about your roles in this church. It may be harder to think about what are your roles in the larger Christian church. Um, like Apollos, he kind of had an in with Jewish people. He could go debate other Jewish men in a way that Priscilla never could have at that time. All right? He had that role, that opportunity, that passion, that talent, that inclination. Do you have something like that? And I would say you do. There's a place in your life, there's somebody you know that maybe is only going to hear from you. They're only going to hear the words in a certain way um, because they trust you. Their heart's not open, but they love you, you know? And again, this isn't shame or guilt. This is just being open to what God has in store for you. And learning the way of God more adequately, that word. Um, a lot of times that word is like, I'm not adequate. I'm not good enough. Don't think of it like that. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. You can take the person who knows the most about the Bible, and they still don't know everything. Okay? They weren't there when it was written. They don't have the mind of God. But they're constantly learning. And this good news to all people everywhere includes the ability and the desire to continually learn about God and his kingdom. If you feel like you've lost that desire, I have in the past, I've lost that desire. 
we can pray, God, give me the desire to learn. Give me the passion or give me the ability. How could I fit that in my life right now? There's so many things crowding you out. How can I fit it in? So in what ways can we learn the way of God more adequately? What is God wanting to teach you that's going to help you in your next stage of life? N.T. Wright um, is someone that I really admire. He speaks, I think, a lot like Paul. He's so learned, and he can speak in these really high ways, but he can also just speak to everyone who just wants to learn at a basic level as well. And he has a book, Acts for Everyone, and I don't want to elevate this above the Bible, but he says something better than I could ever say. I'm going to read a little bit before, and then the end of this quote is going to be on the screen here. Luke offers us, the writer of Acts, Luke offers us no set pattern for the way in which people come step by step into full membership of the Christian family and full participation in all the possibilities that are thereby open to them. Sometimes it happens this way, sometimes that. Just as humans grow to maturity at different paces and some make great strides in one area while others have to catch up later, so it seems to be in the church. And here's what's on the slide. What matters is that we are open, ready to learn from unlikely sources, and prepared for whatever God has to reveal to us through the scriptures, the apostolic teaching, and the ongoing and always unpredictable common life of the believing family. When I read that, I think of my own story, and it may cause you to think of parts of your own story. And I want to encourage you to share part of your story with someone. If you're thinking of something right now, that really could be the Holy Spirit urging you to share that with someone that really needs to hear it. Go in peace, love, and care for one another and neighbor in Christ's name. Go in the confidence of people who have found mercy through him, keeping the commandments and letting go of all that binds you to the ways of this world. And may God come close to you and keep you safe. May Christ Jesus reward your faithfulness a hundredfold. And may the Holy Spirit be your help in a time of need, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.